This is the fourth day of this seven-day October 1976 session. <coughs> we will now resume with the uh, third third case in the Mumonkan. This is called Gute Raises a Finger. And the case reads as follows. Whenever he was asked concerning Zen, Gute simply stuck up one finger. At one time he had a young attendant whom a visitor asked, what is the essential point of your master's teaching? The boy also stuck up one finger. Hearing of this, Gute cut off his finger with a knife. As the boy ran out screaming with pain, Gute called to him. When the boy turned his head, Gute stuck up his finger. The boy was suddenly enlightened. When Gute was about to die, he said to the assembled monks, I received this one finger Zen from Tenryu. I used it all my life but could not exhaust it. When he had finished saying this, he died. And then the commentary. <clears throat> the origin of the enlightenment of Gute and the boy is not in the finger itself. If you really see through this, Tenryu, Gute, the boy and you yourself are all run through with one skewer. And then the verse. Gute made a fool of old Tenryu. With a sharp knife, he chastised the boy. The mountain spirit raised his hand, and lo, with little effort, the thousand myriad-piled mountain was split into two. <clears throat> There's little, little that's known about the Zen master, uh, Gute. Uh, we know that he was a Zen master in China in the ninth century, which means toward the end of the Great Tang era. And <clears throat> according to his biography, he, when he was young, he lived alone on a mountain doing Zazen. There's a very well-known story connected with him, <clears throat> which one will always hear in a monastery in Japan, when you hear, uh, when this uh, case of Gute raises a finger, uh, whenever there's a Teisho on it. This case, by the way, also appears as case number 19 in the Blue Rock records. And the story is as follows. One day, a Zen mon nun happened to come by. And the usual uh, Gute was doing Zazen. And she walked around him three times, which, is the, which was the custom in ancient Japan. The etiquette prescribed that. And uh, usually, of course, if you're wearing any headgear, you take it off. The Zen nuns in Japan, and presumably in ancient China too, they also have a big hat like the Zen monks. 
She walked around him three times. She didn't take her headgear off at all, her hat. Then she stood right in front of him. And she said, if you can give me a word about Buddhism that satisfies me, one word, I will take off my head covering. was still not awakened, didn't know what to say. So she immediately left. <clears throat> as soon as he recovered, Kutay ran after, ran after, and he said, it's getting dark. Why don't you stay overnight and start your trip tomorrow morning? And the nun turned back and she said, I will stay if you can give me the word. Once again, Gute could not answer. And she left him again. <clears throat> she, this particular nun is very famous in Zen. Her name escapes me at the moment. It's not given here in the book I'm reading from. Uh, but we can see at once that she was a very evolved person. Obviously, had deep enlightenment. What would have been a proper word of Zen? If you were good day, what would you do? Well, good day was very much ashamed of himself didn't try to bluff and bluster to somebody else who was uh, less modest than he. He simply was greatly ashamed of himself <coughs> because he could not answer her. He made up his mind that he was going to leave his mountain hut and visit a Zen master and get some Zen training and open his eye, his Zen eye. And then, according to legend, <coughs> that night he had a dream which he was told that a great master, a great teacher, would soon come to his hut. So, instead of going out to find a Zen master, Gute decided to stay in his hut. And then, about ten days later, an old monk came by. And this was Zen master Tenryu. Ten, by the way, means heaven, and Ryu, R-Y-U, is dragon, heavenly dragon. And when, when this master, <coughs> this old monk came, Gute was convinced that he must be the master that he had dreamed about. And so he welcomed him with a great deal of reverence and respect. And then he told Tenryu of his encounter with the nun. And he asked him, Tell me, what is a fundamental word of Zen? And Tenyu, without saying anything, just stuck up his finger. And at this, Gute was enlightened. <clears throat> there is a, we have just one, one a mundo about Tenryu, just as little is known about him as about Gute, his disciple. This is a very interesting one. 
A monk one time asked Tenryu, how shall we get out of the three worlds? That is the world of desire, form, and formlessness. And Tenryu answered, you, at this moment, where are you? <coughs> this reminds one of this, another <coughs> mundo where a monk asked a Zen master, How does one avoid the cold and the heat? How does one escape from the cold and the heat? The master said, why don't you go to a place where there's no cold and there's no heat? And the monk said, where is that? And the master said, in the winter we freeze, in the summer we sweat. You at this moment, where are you? Now, coming back again to the case, whenever Gute was questioned, he just stuck up one finger. This is said to be that he never, he never gave a lecture, never talked about Zen. Whenever he was asked about it, all his life, tradition says, he just stuck up one finger. Must have been a remarkable man. Before going on, <coughs> let me read to you another version of this koan. And this is the way it goes. One day, Gute having hid a knife in his sleeve, said to the boy, I hear, to his boy attendant, I hear that you understand what Buddhism really is. Is that so? The boy replied, Yes, it is so. Kutei said, What is the Buddha? The boy stuck up his finger. Kutei cut it off with the knife. As the boy ran howling out, Kutei called to him. He turned his head around. And Gute said, What is the Buddha? The boy lifted up his hand to stick out his finger. He saw no finger there. And suddenly he became enlightened. That's an interesting uh, variant. And we should realize that uh, there is no one uh, definitive version of a koan. We must remember that the koans, as you heard the other day, are stories of the encounters of masters with their disciples and others in which they freely express their Zen, their Zen experience. And so, as these koans were remembered by different people, or rather as these mondo were remembered, they came to be recorded in different ways. And very often, uh, compilers of koans would deliberately leave out much of the original, what constituted the original encounter. This, of course, makes it much more uh, available as a koan for training. Master Gute, whenever he was questioned, he just stuck up. Whenever he was questioned about Zen, he just stuck up one finger. What about this finger? 
Everybody's got a finger. <clears throat> Everybody has within him the truth. <clears throat> and yet at the same time, the finger expresses everything, and yet the truth is more than, than the finger. Then we may say the pointing finger. could just as well stick, stick up a fist. Could just as well go. In this case, could taste stuck up a finger. Then one time, he had a young attendant. a visitor asked, what is the Zen your master is teaching? Now, this young attendant uh, undoubtedly was a young boy who had not yet been ordained and who was <coughs> in, the, in the monastery learning how to uh, chant sutras and doing various uh, jobs around the, <coughs> around the temple until he became old enough to be ordained, have at least become ordained. Well, probably he had been, he was a shramana, which was just prior to the ordination as a bhikshu. No doubt he was a bright young boy. And so whenever, <coughs> when a visitor asked this young boy, what is your master's teaching? The boy stuck up one finger. No doubt this person had asked the boy because it must have become a kind of a gimmick around the temple there. This boy, young boy, going around uh, and acting like a sort of master. And hearing of this, Gute cut off the boy's finger with a knife. Boy ran out screaming with pain. Gute called to him. When he turned his head, Gute stuck up his finger. The boy was suddenly enlightened. Again, like so many other koans, if we just read the case, it seems like uh, one one inevitably is led to ask, how could just sticking up a finger, or even, yes, even if he cut off the finger. Why would cutting off the finger suddenly bring the boy to enlightenment? We must remember, if we go back to Gute's own enlightenment with the f one finger there, when he remember when he asked, he asked Tenryu about for a word of Zen, he stuck up his finger and Gute became enlightened. There too, what the story does not tell is the tremendous shame and humiliation that Gute must have felt at 
the time when this nun who came in with such self-assurance and confidence made a fool of him. And while it's true that she was also an ordained person, here he was, a monk who had been practicing all this time by himself and thinking that he was going deep into, into Buddhism, he found he couldn't answer a simple question that was put to him by this woman. And, and then again, his doing Zazen, alone in the hut, this also was not just a simple matter. Nobody takes himself off to a mountain hut, even in ancient uh, China during the Tang period, unless there is a tremendous desire for awakening. There must be a great deal of searching and struggling that preceded the final moment when awakening came. One has to be driven to, to an extreme. One has to be uh, feel utterly stymied, not knowing which way to turn. And undoubtedly, this happened with Gute, the, the coming of the monk, which was a very comic, or rather the coming of the nun, and then the coming of Tenryu, showed that his karma had matured. Had his karma not matured, and had it not matured through the years of struggle and search, then nothing would have happened. Nothing would have happened. Tenryu had thrown a finger, he jumped on, on Gute no matter what he had done. There would not have been the awakening. And here again, it's not simply a matter of putting up a finger. One could put up a finger, raise a finger, and it's a finger. One can raise a finger, and it's a finger. A finger is a finger is a finger. A finger is a no finger. A finger is a finger. depends on what is behind it. Or perhaps it's better to say the finger expresses the whole being. It's a finger and it has the power to move other people. With the raising of the finger, the, the whole universe is moved. In the introduction to the same koan in the Blue Rock records, uh, the compiler, Engo, in Japanese, he has these words. If one grain of dust is lifted up, the great universe is involved. If one blossom opens, the world vibrates. We see here then to properly raise a finger is a world-shaking event. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a finger that is, left, that is lifted with tremendous force violently. We'll come to that later on when we come to the poem.
<clears throat> also the case with the boy, undoubtedly. While he had been imitating his teacher for a long time, Nonetheless, there must also have been in the boy, young as he was, perhaps from a previous lifetime where he undoubtedly had had considerable spiritual training and understanding. This is probably what, what motivated him to want to become a monk in the first place. can't ignore this aspect of this, too. And it was the pain, the suddenness of the action. Everything else. When the finger met the no finger, it was an explosion. This is when Gute was about to die, he said to the assembled monks, I attained ten new Zen of one finger. I used it all my life but could not exhaust it. What does it mean? He used it all his life but he could not exhaust it. The truth of our being, the truth of the universe, is inexhaustible. It's as though each one of us, in this small time allotted to us, in what we call this world, have a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of karma, which we become a kind of a, a kind of a wave on the sea. As a wave, we are unique because waves, as we know, are subject to all kinds of atmospheric conditions which change them. At the same time, we are also part of the ocean. We are influenced by the ocean and the things that influence the ocean. And so long as we are in tune with our life, with this energy, where it is not obstructed. The flow is not impeded by wrong notions that we have, by patterns that we develop, patterns of movement that we develop, by moral concepts, by suffering and so on. This energy is available to us. It's an inexhaustible energy because its source is inexhaustible. It's almost like a, as though we take off a reducing valve and this energy flows constantly. Most people, there's very little coming through it. Or perhaps we may say most people are sort of uh, arteriosclerotic in this respect. The, the veins of their minds are so filled with with notions and concepts, with theories, 
that there does not flow through them this inexhaustible energy. So it doesn't matter which, which part of us expresses this inexhaustible energy. So long as it's flowing freely through us, it has the power to move us and to move others. Then we come to Mumon's commentary. The origin of the enlightenment of Gute and the boy is not in the finger itself. If you really see through this, Tenryu, Gute, the boy, and you yourself are all run through with one skewer. make this satori energy available to ourselves. It's everywhere. Zen training is a kind of cleaning out of the arteries, just as now nowadays there is a process where one takes uh, certain chemicals to clean out the calcium accumulations of the of the arteries the same way Training in Zen, Zazen, is a means of making available to us this energy. Of course, it's a special kind of energy. It's an energy that can only come to us when we are no longer aware of even trying to make it available to ourselves. Everybody has this energy. When we say that everyone inherently is enlightened, this means that we are all come from the same root. <coughs> we are all, so to say, attached to the same finger. Or perhaps it's better to say we all have the same hand. But our ability to use it freely, of course, differs. It differs in respect to our training, to our awakening, as there has been awakening, to the degree of the awakening, to the degree it has been integrated into our daily life. We come to the verse. Gute made a fool of old Tenryu. With a sharp knife he chastised the, bo the boy. In what sense can we say that Gute made a fool of old Tenryu? In reading this, this reads, Gute made a fool of old Tenryu, comma, with a sharp knife he chastised the boy.
had he not cut off the finger and simply raised his own finger, would the boy have come to awakening? <coughs> After all, Gute came to awakening through that one finger. That all she used to say. If you think that Gute's awakening is in that finger, you're way off the mark. And if you think it is not in that finger, you're also way off the mark. See, Zen is no simple matter. Then we have here, the mountain spirit raised his hand, and lo, with little effort, the thousand myriad piled mountain was split into two. Evidently, this refers to a Chinese myth, uh, which says that this mountain spirit raised his hand, and this uh, great ridge of, of a mountain was split in two. Uh, that this God, mountain God, had great supernatural powers. And by cutting this great mountain in two, he let the river run through the range of mountains. Now notice it says here, the mountain spirit raised his hand, and lo, with little effort, a thousand myriad piled mountain was split into Mom! two. What is the thousand mild, a thousand, the thousand myriad piled mountain referred to? It's one of the problems of this verse. What does it mean that with little effort? Some, some people think that Gute raised his finger with a tremendous violent effort. Others say that this verse points to the fact that it was done with just a little ping. But when you demonstrate this con in Doksan, one must, one must be able to do this just the right kind of way. Anything that's done in the right kind of way brings great results. Of course, the myriad-piled mountain is just, a, is just a metaphor for our own mind. Our minds are filled with all kinds of uh, the Japanese call Fudenbetsu Mozo, all kinds of worrying thoughts and feelings. We never cease worrying about things, in a small way or in a large way. Maybe just a tiny little worry that when you come to a session, well, you forgot to do something before you left. Or it may be a real worry, like, am I going to get through this session? Always there's the worry. There's this worry that tangles us up. Our mind 
doesn't see clearly. Not only tangles us up, it, it, it spreads a film on the mind. Zen training is a kind of a, is a, kind of a medicine to get rid of this, <coughs> get rid of this film. Although this koan may seem to be a fairly simple one, actually it is not. <clears throat> it was a very popular koan, evidently, because it appears in several books of koans. And the strange thing is that so little is known about either Gutei or about his teacher Tenryu, except for the one, uh, the one mondo about Tenryu. There's nothing else that's known about him. Even that one was hard to find. Nonetheless, this whole incident, this very dramatic incident of the boy and the finger, has a great, like so many other koans, has a great dramatic impact. effect on people who are practicing, as in this session, is to make one realize that when the mind is ripe, anything can awaken it. Sound of a bird, even a flower coming into one's gaze, doesn't have to be anything as sharp and dramatic like the cutting of a finger. Now let us say something about the Seshin. We are now fourth day of this Seshin, just about past the halfway point. It's the point of no return, so to say. Sessions go, this has been so far. A session in the best tradition, which is to say that it has been moving right along. There's been nothing untoward, that the session is a tautness. And it is at this point that really the outcome of the session, so to say, we're using the word outcome here in a in a conventional sense, that the outcome of the session is determined. There's a, there's a line of poetry by Browning. I think it's called uh, Rabbi Ben Ezra. Where it says, it starts, Grow old along with me. The best is yet to be. The last for which the first was made. This aptly fits fits a session. The first half of a session really exists for the second half. Of course, in an ultimate sense, there is no first half and there's no second half. 
but the first half is really preparation for the second half. If this preparation, like a foundation to a house, has been well laid, then we can be sure that the outcome is going to be very good. We're going to have a strong house, a well-built house. And similarly, the fact that the first half of the session has gone so well augurs well for the rest of it. But this is only true if one does not begin to sit back and admire, as it were. Sometimes happens. People will go through a session, the first half, with great, great guns. And then suddenly a kind of a uh, tiredness sets in. One of the things that has surprised me in this session so far has been how many people who have stayed up late and how little tired they appear and say how little tired they are. That they have great energy. This, this also is most unusual. And it also indicates that the session has had a very fine build-up. Nonetheless, there is still the danger that one can begin to coast or fall back or feel that somehow <clears throat> one just isn't up to it anymore. This kind of thing happens because the ego begins to get in its work. The more we push the ego outside of the our conscious mind through our zazen, the more it begins to fight back at a certain time. Very often we are misled into believing the ego has been somehow banished from the mind. And it hasn't been. It's just been lurking in a corner, waiting for an opportunity. And that opportunity comes when a little tiredness, a little perhaps faint boredom, or... Well, whatever, a dryness, that's the word. A certain dryness sets in. And then the ego, seeing its opportunity, it shoots right out. And whatever that, that initial negative feeling is, it just strengthens it. This is the great danger, the second half of a session, a falling prey to these wiles, to these seductions of the ego. Ego is a very wily thing. It's been in control of the mind for a very long time and it's not about to give up without a real struggle. What this means in practical terms is that one has to make an even greater effort in the second half of the session. And one can. Of course, the very wonderful thing is that one is able to do it, provided one does not fall prey to these things you just heard about. We must be very careful in the session not to fall back, but to continue to climb up the mountain. If we do, certainly a lot of people can get through. Stop here and recite the